Runoff, a crime novel about election fraud, evokes a curious timelessness of classic detective fiction. A noir gem, says Mystery Scene Magazine. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 19. Only a Damn Caterpillar I left Chris's place much later than I intended. I helped him reposition the satellite dish on his balcony. I can never get the premium channels when it's windy. Rearranged the furniture in his living room. The ottoman may be one of the most versatile pieces of accent furniture on the market. And further reduced the inventory of his overpriced beer. Drink more, August. I've been stuck with this stuff since those tacky boys down the hall brought it over for my Oscars party. Since it was late enough for Red, the ATM thief, to be active, I decided to detour on my way home past some of the bank branches I had on my list to see if I might get lucky. I spent an hour camped out by a Wells Fargo branch in the Castro, gave that up as a bad job, and then put in another 45 minutes shivering by a credit union near the panhandle of Golden Gate Park. The cold, the pain from the cut in my side, and the after-effects of drinking Chris's beer diminished my enthusiasm for the job, and after making a pit stop at a 24-hour gas station on Oak, I determined a nearby Bank of America branch would be my last stop. It was just a little after 2.30 when I pulled up at a red light on Divisadero at the intersection with Geary. There were no other cars stopped in either direction, and the traffic on Geary consisted of a groaning diesel bus and a guy in a bicycle riding with no hands singing, I am the captain of the pinafore at the top of his lungs. The moon was full, and it hung low in the sky with a plume of genie from the bottle fog, that seemed to wrap it like a boa. I looked from the moon to a fence construction site across the street. It was next to an office tower, and I decided the site was destined to be a parking structure, since my B of A branch was in an identical tower cum parking facility on the opposite corner. I was musing over my experience with Lisa, and thinking maybe Chris was right about not looking a gift horse in the mouth, when the chain-link fence erupted, and a big yellow backhoe blew through it like a sneeze through one ply. The backhoe evil-knieveled off the sidewalk, bounded over the island in the middle of Divisadero, gouging asphalt and raising sparks as the loader bucket bottomed out, and hopped a curb in front of the other office tower. The light at the intersection had long since changed, so I floored the gas pedal, rumbled across Geary to the accompanying clatter of the galaxy's worn tappets, and then muscled the car into the first driveway I came to after the branch. I jumped out of the car and ran back to the bank. The backhoe was already at work uprooting an ATM situated between two columns in a concrete arcade in front of the building. There was no question it was the same guy at the controls. He had the same badly trimmed goatee, 
the same cheap plastic glasses, and the same monstrous physique. They say history doesn't repeat itself, but sometimes it does stutter. Once again, I had no gun to threaten him with, my only permitted weapon having been seized as evidence by the South San Francisco police. I had learned something from the previous encounter, though. I learned it was worse than useless to call attention to myself until I found an alternative weapon. As Red brought the loader bucket to the base of the ATM and gunned the motor, I ducked behind a trash receptacle to contemplate my options. I looked up the street to the galaxy and considered the idea of driving it back to ram the backhoe. It was a heavy car, but I didn't think it would be a match for the low-geared torque of the tractor. What was worse, Red had maneuvered the backhoe to come at the ATM from behind, leaving the columns it set between as obstacles for me to get around or through. I didn't like my chances with the lumbering galaxy, especially after having to plow through the low strip of sculpted shrubbery that ringed the building. I twisted back to look at the construction site. It was basically a big hole surrounded by stacks of construction materials, a tanker truck, and some miscellaneous tractors, including another backhoe. The idea of going mano a mano with red in a backhoe was appealing, especially after the crack in the paper about bringing rocks to a tractor fight, but I doubted I could get it hotwired in time, and I knew an experienced operator like Red would be able to drive circles around me. I let my glance follow the length of the trampled fence to the corner of the lot, and there I saw it. A fire hydrant. A brass fixture with gauges was attached to it, and attached to the fixture was a coil of hose. I figured the hydrant was being used to fill the pumper truck, and the fixture was the city's way of determining how much water the construction company was using. I sprinted across the road to the hydrant. I was worried I wouldn't be able to open it, but there was a large and obvious monkey wrench clamped over a valve next to a gauge. I pushed the handle of the wrench forward slightly, and the coiled hose expanded like a snake getting an enema. I yanked it closed. I'd seen how many firemen it took to haul a charged hose, and I didn't want to try it solo. I sorted through the hose until I located the steel nozzle, which fortunately had its own shutoff valve, grabbed it, and then dragged it and the hose across the street to the trash receptacle, where I set it down. I poked my head around the receptacle to assess Red's progress. He had the ATM bent at a 30-degree angle, but there were a few stubborn bolts clinging to the base that prevented him from carrying it off entirely. I jumped up for the dash back to the waiting monkey wrench. I confess I laughed out loud as I flung it wide open and saw the water surge through the hose. The anticipation of it carried me back across the street, grinning and chuckling to myself as I ran. When I got there, I found Red had bent the ATM all the way over, but one or two tortured bolts were still holding. He was fully absorbed in his task, cursing as he repeatedly rammed the base with the loader blade. I bent to pick up the hose. It was like picking up a living thing. I dropped to one knee and still almost slipped in a puddle of water that had formed from the dripping nozzle. I steadied myself next to the trash receptacle, cradled the nozzle in my left hand, and then grabbed its black rubber shutoff valve in my right. 
I waited until Red had the backhoe lined up for another run at the ATM. Then I called out, The name is August. He just had time to glance up from the controls, register a sort of crazed realization, and then I let him have it. The force of the water rocked me back, but that was nothing compared to what it did to Red. He was plastered into his seat with his hands held out like a silent movie actress, cowering in front of a villain. His hard hat flew off, his glasses flew off, and his shirt rolled up to expose a pale roll of fat around his middle. I kept the water going until the tractor ran aground of its own accord, and he was left huddled in a protective ball like a flushed spider circling the drain. For a moment, there was an eerie silence, and then he snorted and hacked and coughed up at least a lungful of water. He uncurled and ran his hand down his face to stare at me, bleary-eyed. Man! he croaked. I could have drowned. Where's your sense of fair play? You're soaking in it. He made as if to shake his head at my unreasonableness, then flashed a grin and quickly reached for the controls of the tractor. I snapped the water on again, but the loader bucket came up to block the stream. I heard the engine noise rise over the sound of the water pummeling the bucket. The backhoe advanced towards me, crawling over the ATM, mashing down the strip of shrubbery, until it was almost on top of me and the water sluicing out of the bucket was a white curtain over my head. I sidestepped to the right, both to get out of harm's way and to flank the bucket, but dragging the hose felt like dragging an iron tail. I had barely crab-walked out of the backhoe's path when it came crashing down on the trash receptacle, knocking it into the street and disgorging soda cans everywhere. Red saw me lining up to go at him from the side and brought the steering wheel hard over in my direction. Then suddenly it didn't matter. The water cut off and I flopped to the ground, overbalanced from leaning into the force of the stream. I heard someone yell, Hurry up, Red! And the backhoe accelerated past me, out into the street. When I got to my feet, I found a large truck parked in the middle of Divisadero with its front tire sitting on top of the hose, cutting the flow of water. Red had pulled up to the passenger side and was scrambling out of the backhoe to hurry into the open cab of the truck. He paused with one foot on the stepwell and turned to look back at me. Another tie, Augie, he yelled. It's now one, zero, two, my favor. He waved, flopped into the seat, and the truck accelerated away before he had even pulled the door closed. I squinted at the receding bumper for a license number, but of course they had removed the plates. I trudged back to the hydrant to shut off the valve and was busy wringing out my suit jacket when McQuaid and his partner Jerry showed up. Jerry jumped from the patrol car to take in the scene, but McQuaid simply rolled down the window, said, Hiya, August, and reached for his radio. Shit, said Jerry when he came back from his reconnaissance. It's only a damn caterpillar. It doesn't even have the high-capacity rear bucket. You're right, I said, grinning, still somehow buoyed by the whole experience. A John Deere would have done a lot more damage, wouldn't it?
You have been listening to Runoff, a book hard-boiled great James Crumley described as a smart, funny, spooky, often touching, always entertaining romp. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com.